Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Infectious diseases specialist Dr. Isaac Bogosh brings us the latest news about the Omicron variant. Omicron hitting Hamilton's homeless shelters hard. What happens if your co-worker asks for a COVID-19 vaccine exemption? Donald Trump on the verge of launching his own social network. And a new talk show debuts on 900 CHML Monday night. And we chat with the host of A Little More Conversation, Ben O'Hara-Byrne. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Well, the Omicron variant of COVID-19 continues to infect thousands of people every day here in Ontario. Does this mean we're getting closer to herd immunity? That's one of the questions I want to ask our next guest. Dr. Isaac Bogosh is an infectious diseases specialist and associate professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Toronto and joins us now on GMH. Dr. Bogosh, good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. The uh, the Omicron uh, variant of COVID-19, um, are we only going to see the end of this variant uh, depending on the level of boosters that we see being injected into arms? Yeah, sadly, I think that's only one component of it. I think uh, we're going to see this wave continue until it runs out of fuel. And running out of fuel means, you know, meeting a wall of immunity. Immunity comes from one of two, one of two areas. It either meets someone who's been vaccinated for COVID-19, especially with the third dose, or it meets someone who's had a recent infection and has recovered. Sadly, we're seeing a ton of infections. And, uh, and that's out, outpacing the rate of vaccination. It's great to see vaccines going in very quickly in Ontario. Ontario mobilized this very quickly, and the pace of vaccination in Ontario is probably faster than most places in the world. But, of course, this is a very, very transmissible variant, and we're still seeing a lot of infections as well. Now, on the flip side of that, is it possible that we could reach herd immunity quicker than maybe originally hoped because this is so transmissible? Yeah, it is. I'm kind of cautious with the term herd immunity, but it's still an important term to discuss. It basically, I think one of the, a better way of discussing this is community level protection. We know that people can get infected. We know people can get reinfected. But if we have enough immunity at the level of the population, either from vaccination or recovery from infection, when the next variant rolls through town, and there will be another variant that rolls through town, it's just not going to impact us as significantly as prior waves. And, and that's the goal. I mean, listen, you might have a massive case of the sniffles uh, across, the, across the population, but the whole point is that it won't or shouldn't impact our hospital system. And you only get that when you have enough people with, with antibodies in a, in, a, in a triggered immune system. And, and of course, the way to do that is through vaccination, ideally, but of course, we're seeing a lot of people get there through recovery of natural, uh, recovery from infection, and sometimes both. Are you hesitant to use or maybe cautious, I guess, is the more appropriate uh, word to use the term herd immunity? Because, I mean, we don't quite have immunity against influenza or the common cold. We get it. It goes through our system and away we go. We're better. We're better off once it uh, you know exits or once we battle it. Uh, are, are we ever going to reach herd immunity? I guess, is that where the caution lies? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't been using that word for over a year, I think. And I, I'm pretty cautious to use it. Right. We can talk about herd immunity with things like the measles, where the vaccine uh, is its not perfect, but it's really, really good in the sense that if you have enough people vaccinated in a community and measles is introduced, yeah, you might get one or two cases, but you're still not going to have these massive outbreaks. With COVID-19, I think you're spot on, right? It's, it's more akin to influenza, where, yeah, the vaccines will certainly reduce your risk of getting this infection, 
but not to a, a, a massive extent at, at the level of the community. But the vaccines will really prevent people from getting sick and landing in hospital. So, you know, we'll, we will see seasonal uh, uh, ebbs and flows of this virus, and the vaccine will still provide tremendous protection both against infection and, and mainly through uh, significant infection and severe infection. But, you know, and, and, and the vaccine will provide tremendous community level protection. But like, are we going to be faced with a situation where we're going to have very little to no COVID and then COVID gets introduced, but it doesn't get transmitted and amplified? No, I don't think we'll get to a place like that anytime soon. I think we'll just get to a point where it doesn't impact us like it has in prior waves. And, you know, if you get infected, yeah, maybe you have a mild cold if, if all goes well and you recover quickly and move on with your life rather than, you know, seeing people, you know, sadly, gravely ill and seeing our hospitals fill up and our IUs fill, ICUs fill up and having, uh, you know, society get, get grounded to a halt. We're going to ask uh, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious diseases specialist and associate professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Toronto to hang on the line for a couple of minutes. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious diseases specialist. And um, we just uh, got word that uh, kids aged 5 to 11, uh, the rate of vaccination across the country, I think is around 39-40%. Is that a number that at this point uh, is good or bad, lagging behind, above expectation? How would you describe that? I'd say it's not surprising. Um, I'd say that uh, we knew that there were going to be a lot of parents that wanted their kids vaccinated and were chopping at the bit for, for this to come through. And when when uh, when those spots opened up, they were first in line to get their kids vaccinated. And then we also knew that there were going to be others who were going to wait a little bit of time. But we're not averse to vaccination. And we're sort of seeing that slow trotting along of kids getting vaccinated now. And then there was parents that just wanted a bit more time or weren't, weren't keen on, on getting this done. Um, you know, obviously, I think the number should be higher. But, uh, you know, you can't ignore that 40% is still a lot better than 0%. And I'm glad we have this. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's also important to discuss the growing number of, of kids that get sick. Right. We know in general, kids don't get as ill as adults. They just don't with COVID. But some do. It's as rare as it is. Some do. And when you have such massive, uh, like such a massive burden of infection in the community, those rare events suddenly don't look so rare anymore when you have you know, pediatric hospitalizations on the rise, which is you know, a, real, a real issue in Canada and, of course, in, in parts of the United States and elsewhere in the world where, where this is a problem. Uh, and, and, you know, I think some parents are starting to see that and say, you know what, even if it is a rare event, I don't want that happening to my kid and are, are, uh, are actually seeking vaccination now. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if those rates start to, start to climb. But again, you know, you can't strong arm people into getting vaccinated. And, uh, you know, you have to have honest communications, open communications, lowering barriers and, and ensuring that people have every opportunity to get a vaccine should they choose to do so. Speaking of kids, uh, school's going to be closed for at least another week. Do you expect them to reopen on January 17th or does your gut say they, they're going to be closed a little bit longer? I hope not. I really want these schools to reopen on January 17th. Like, yeah, enough already. I, I mean, we, we know that COVID is, is, uh, is, is transmissible. We know how to create a safer indoor environment, not a perfectly safe indoor environment. You know, I, I, I'm glad to see the province is taking steps to really prioritize vaccination for, 
for students and also for staff, including, you know, I was wrong. I was saying, I was saying, you know, get the teachers and the administrators vaccinated. They went further. Good for them. They're talking about the bus drivers. Anyone who's peripherally related to the schools uh, is, it looks like they're, they're prioritized for easy access vaccination in, uh, in just about anywhere in the province uh, starting this week, which is excellent. I mean, that's excellent news. They're distributing masks and high quality N95 masks to educators. Like these are tools that will make schools safer. Obviously, it's not going to be perfect. And even in a world with unlimited resources, uh, you're still going to have school outbreaks. Like, come on, you've got two million people in an indoor setting for eight hours a day for five days a week. Like, of course, you're going to see transmission there. This is a really transmissible respiratory virus. The whole goal is to reduce the number of outbreaks and the size of these outbreaks. But of course, you can't expect zero outbreaks. And of course, we all come from different places. Some kids might not be able to go back to school because they just might be at greater risk for a severe infection. Or maybe that kid goes home to a family where there's someone who's at greater risk for a severe infection. So you really have to be able to accommodate some, especially in this era, for who, who might benefit from home learning. But I think for, for most people, I think uh, many people would love to go back to school. I'm completely biased. I'd love for my kids to go back to school, and I'm glad to see that they're increasing the safety of those indoor environments so they, they can do so safely. So fingers tightly crossed for the 17th. Very much so. One last uh, topic for you, Dr. Bogosh. Uh, CMA President Dr. Catherine Smart recently saying that we should have an honest and direct conversation about the level of care that we are giving to those who are unvaccinated in the healthcare system. Is, is that a discussion that should be had? Uh, I'm not going to comment on everyone, and I by no means am I a spokesperson for everyone in healthcare. But I am a doctor, uh, and I do care for a lot of patients in hospital. And quite frankly, I'm completely blind to whoever comes in, if they're vaccinated or not, whatever life choices they've made. Uh, regardless, if they're on, if they're you know in our hospital or in my clinic, I'll do everything I can to give them the best quality of care. Um, you know, I think it's it's as simple as that. Yeah, it's a pretty slippery slope if we if we start deciding who gets care and who doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Like we care for everybody. Once you're at that end of the stage, where where once you're at that end of the spectrum, where you know people are sick enough and they need to to land themselves in hospital, like or or go see seek medical care, we've got to provide everyone, all 38 million of us, with with the best possible care. The other important point, though, I think that that where we really need a discussion is, you know, what's what's the goal here, right? Our goal, the objective, is to have as many people vaccinated as possible. And thankfully, most people have come out and got vaccinated. But of course, we know there's many people that haven't. Um, that's behavioral change. We're in the business of behavioral change. We want to have, ensure that people who are not yet vaccinated get vaccinated. Don't ask a doctor about this. I'm the wrong guy. Don't ask the chief public health officer about this. That's the wrong person, right? This is where you need to really enlist behavioral change experts and social scientists that's what they do that's what they know okay uh you know having press conferences by by you know boring physician at three o'clock in the afternoon on the mainstream media is not going to change anyone's opinion with a finger wagging saying get your vaccine like that doesn't do it we know how to change people's behavior look at the clothes you wear the car you drive the food you buy there's marketing experts and advertising experts and behavioral change experts. They should have been enlisted in all public health, not just vaccination, but all public health um, messaging from the very beginning. And that's been one of the biggest mistakes of our pandemic. Absolutely. Dr. Bogosh, we'll have to leave it there. Always appreciate the time. Thanks for your time. and Enjoy the rest of your day. 
You too. Thanks for chatting. That again is infectious diseases specialist Dr. Isaac Bogosh, associate professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Toronto. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let's focus on COVID-19 and how it is impacting Hamilton's homeless shelters. And here to chat about it is Brother Richard McPhee, the executive director of Good Shepherd Center. Brother Richard, how are you today? Not too bad, Rick. Yourself? I'm okay. Uh, how is COVID-19 impacting Good Shepherd? It's a tsunami. It, uh, we're uh, so busy right now with different outbreaks and the number of folk, homeless folks that are staying in our shelters. Uh, we've got uh, positives both with our staff and, and unfortunately also for many of the clients. But uh, we're managing it, but it's been a challenge. Has this been more challenging than Delta or even other variants? Absolutely. Um, only mostly because uh, the shelters have been so full. I mean, we had uh, the encampments that were in our city, and as some of those were broken down, people came inside. So we find ourselves, you know, really struggling to make sure we have enough beds, particularly during this cold period of winter. You know. Yeah, it's the, it's the coldest stretch right now. Uh, we know that the staff shortages are uh, a huge thing in the shelter system, uh, no different than what we're seeing in, in local hospitals. Uh, we know, yes, the encampment issues as uh, more and more homeless encampments are being dismantled. People are you know accessing the shelter system. So what kind of tweaks and adjustments and, and pivoting, which seems to be the catchphrase during the pandemic, uh, what are some of the things you've been doing to accommodate this tsunami? Well, we turned around and uh, opened, you know, more beds at the former Cathedral High School site. Uh, we've got almost 100 men there right now. We uh, are in the process, though, of, of also helping, you know, women to come inside. And so we found ourselves uh, responding to the needs of the homeless women population, particularly in terms of uh, uh, having, we've got additional, like, 56 beds at, um, the former Admiral or the Admiral Inn uh, Hotel. And on top of that, we've got almost uh, 40 families in hotels uh, at the Sheraton downtown. Wow. Um, how are staff doing? How are they coping with the, this crush? Well, it's, it's really quite challenging. You know, uh, our staff have done such a marvelous job uh, in terms of responding to the needs. But now as we, we're seeing more and more of them, Particularly, mostly, actually, in their own families, where COVID is 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 uh, showing its rearing its head in their families, and then that's often forcing them to stay off work because they are positive, and the, and the challenges that that's bringing in terms of us staffing the facility. So it's been it's been challenging. They're uh, frontline heroes, and I just want to say that they've been dealing with not only with this particular problem, but also with the opioid crisis on top of this. Absolutely. Brother Richard McPhee is our guest. He is the executive director of Good Shepherd Center. We're chatting about uh, the fast-spreading Omicron variant hitting Hamilton's homeless shelters hard. Um, What can uh, the community do to help? Well, people have been very generous to us during the Christmas season. That's That's been really very helpful. I also think it's really important to recognize the great work that our staff are doing um, each and every day. And I, I really want to thank the community for supporting us, but also to continue to support us to, to meet the needs of folks. Also, I think the other part of it is what people can do to help is get vaccinated and stay home, if that's, what, if that's possible. Because 
really, uh, we're all in this together, and it's been a real challenging time for all of us, and we're only going to get through it together, as as we know, and um, each and every day we see more and more people becoming positive, so it's it's important that people stay safe and uh, wear a mask and and also look after their brothers and sisters who are in need or their families that their families because it's it is something that we're all struggling with today. We do know that uh, many people in this community uh, access the shelter system. Um, are, are people staying away because of Omicron? Um, I, I I wouldn't say so. Um, some people are concerned, obviously, but we're it's such a, a silent kind of illness in some cases because what we're seeing with the Omicron is also the absence of any symptoms sometimes too. And so we've been, we've been, uh, been very diligent around swabbing um, each week in, ser- in terms of trying to uh, identify any of those uh, situations where people are positive but no- are not necessarily showing symptoms so that we can um, treat people and, and isolate people so it doesn't go through the the system as bad as it it potentially could, you know? I completely understand. Brother Richard, thank you for your time today. Stay safe, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. You too, Rick. Thanks a lot. That is Brother Hamilton. You got it. That's Brother Richard McPhee, Executive Director of the Good Shepherd Centers. You heard a tsunami. They're dealing with a tsunami in terms of people accessing the shelter system because it's so cold outside, staff shortages because... Uh, either staff members are infected or they've had close contacts. They have to stay home to ensure that others don't get infected. And uh, obviously, you know, the, the encampments issue in town, as more and more people are leaving those encampments, uh, those encampments coming down and they're looking towards the shelter system, say, hey, I need a place to stay. So Good Shepherd utilizing the Sheraton and the Admiral Inn to get those extra beds to accommodate that uh, tsunami of individuals who who need help. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. When people are seeing uh, cancer treatments uh, and elective surgeries put off uh, because beds are filled with people who chose not to get vaccinated, they're frustrated. When people see that we're in uh, lockdowns or serious public health restrictions right now because the risk posed to all of us by unvaccinated people, people get angry. That's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Yes, people are getting angry, are getting frustrated, seeing the case counts and more importantly, the hospitalizations and ICU admissions going up, reaching New territory in some cases, and many people, including those in the healthcare industry, pointing to the unvaccinated. So, as more and more businesses, agencies, institutions, facilities introduce mandatory COVID 19 vaccination policies requiring you to be fully vaccinated, what happens if your coworker asks for a COVID 19 vaccine exemption? Well, let's ask an expert in this field. James Fu is his name. He's a partner at Borden Ladner Gervais, LLP, and joins us now. James, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good. How are you, Rick? Uh, I'm not too bad. So what happens if your coworker asks for a vaccine exemption? Yeah, first first thing, uh, exactly. I think there's a, there's a high level of frustration right now uh, among uh, many uh, with respect to COVID-19, all the restrictions and, and when it's going to end. The first thing to do in this case, I'd say, is to take a deep breath uh, because uh, this does require an objective and sound 
uh, decision uh, because of two main reasons. One is we do want to make the right decision, the right appropriate decision. And secondly, uh, these can always uh, amount to uh, potential litigation down the road if the right decision is not made. So I understand a team from your law office has been analyzing and uh, processing some of these exemption requests. Are, are we seeing this scenario playing out in Ontario or across Canada, more and more people asking for these vaccine exemptions? I'd say as a, as a general statement, yes, uh, we, we have seen uh, quite a number, uh, and they usually come across in two, two main grounds, and one is a medical-based ground. That one's more rare because the medical-based ground is really grounded in medical uh, doctor's opinions, and uh, usually that's supported by doctor's evidence, and particularly in Ontario, the Doctors Association has provide a very clear guidance to doctors on what constitutes a valid exemption for vaccinations. The second main ground is the religious uh, exemptions uh, because of the, uh, the, the protection under creed under the human rights legislation here in Ontario. James Fu is a partner at Borden Ladner Gervais LLP joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML as we chat about what happens if your co-worker asks for a COVID-19 vaccine exemption. What's the rights of workers? You know, I'm picturing, you know, a few workers at a factory. One of them has uh, asked for an exemption. Do those other workers have certain rights? Yeah, I mean, it's part and parcel of the safe workplace, right? We have to maintain a safe workplace. Employers do have to maintain a safe workplace. So part of the analysis or the considerations would be even if someone does have a valid exemption uh, to to being vaccinated, whether it be uh, whether it be on a medical ground or a religious-based, creed-based ground, which are altogether they're quite rare in terms of the ones that have been approved, there is still the next step of an undue hardship. Uh, the duty to accommodate all of all of this is subject to the duty of uh, to, the duty to accommodate is subject to uh, undue hardship analysis. And what really that means is. In terms of accommodating someone that needs this accommodation, it has to be uh, it has to be appropriate in the workplace. And undue hardship is a really it is a fairly substantial test. But in the COVID pandemic, workplace health and safety, I think, really comes into play and uh, is a big consideration. For example, factory setting where everybody is interacting with each other, high touch, high um, high contact that's going to be probably a lot more riskier than uh, remote at home uh, in terms of, you know, minimal interaction. So with that factory kind of example, can an employer, is an employer allowed to segregate the vaccinated from the unvaccinated? Say, hey, everyone who's unvaccinated, you're working in this part of the factory now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all part of the risk analysis. Uh, so I think most employers will now have a COVID-19 safety plan. It's required under Ontario's uh, Ontario's um, uh, reopening uh, under Ontario Act, and with respect to that plan, often, oftentimes in there, it's set out what a company is going to do to maintain a safe workplace. And Rick, to your question about segregating, uh, you know, it, I think it's dependent on the circumstance in terms of each workplace to see if it's appropriate. In that factory example, if there are certain workers that are unvaccinated, uh, and and the assessment is made that it is a high risk and there is potential transmission, I think it is potentially appropriate in that circumstance to have different workplaces and different uh, workstations uh, for those that may not be vaccinated. Also mask, right, mask, uh, so that uh, 
uh, the, the folks that are not vaccinated, if there is a medical exemption, uh, they are they are uh, protecting themselves and then also protecting others around them. Last question for you, and we have about a minute. How can employers tell if an exemption letter is genuine? Yeah, uh, that's that, that's an important question because I think uh, some employers have seen the template letters, the ones that are floating around uh, on the internet, and all you have to do is put your your name on it and. Um, or a person can put their name on it and then and then submit it to their employer. Really, at the core, in terms of medical exemptions, that's one piece. Medical evidence usually is supportive of that. Religious exemption, that's the that's the more harder one to assess. And first off, no one no one ever goes to school to assess somebody's religion and whether or not it's legitimate or not. So, once again, it goes back to my comment to get deep breath. But that one, it's it's to take a look and see if the person has a sincerely held practice or belief that has a nexus to religion which calls for a particular line of conduct. So in this context, it means a faith-based calling to decline the coronavirus vaccination. And the important thing is that a singular belief or political preference in general is not going to amount to a creed-based exemption. James, great stuff. Thanks for the chat today. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. You as well. That's James Fu, partner at Borden Ladner Gervais LLP, chatting to us about what happens if your coworker asks for a vaccine exemption. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Former U.S. President Donald Trump is on the verge of launching his own social network. It's called Truth Social. So you've probably heard by now that Donald Trump, who's no longer the president, has been booted off. Uh, Places like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, pretty much every social media company on the planet has said, uh, hey, uh, take a hike. So Mr. Trump, as he's apt to do, says, well, I'll just take my ball and play with it somewhere else. And so he's on the verge, as I said, um, of launching his own social network. And apparently it is going to uh, launch on February 21st. At least that's according to the expected date listed in Apple's App Store. Who's going to jump on this? How many followers is he going to have? How successful will this truth social be? Well, let's ask Mark Gordon. He's a marketer, a speaker. He's the customer service expert, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Rick. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Your thoughts on uh, Mr. Trump's truth social? Well, it's interesting. As you said, he got kicked off all the other platforms, and and uh, he's, he's creating his own. And you know, I think it's important to remember that really at the very core of this, Donald Trump, beyond anything else that he's ever been, he's an influencer. In fact, he was an influencer before people used the word influencer. Back when he was doing real estate, he leveraged conventional media as an influencer to endorse products and both himself, and then he branched on to creating his own reality show, which allowed him to create the narrative a little more uh, through television, again, as an influencer. And then when social media came along, he could create his own voice and his own narrative entirely, and he leveraged that to becoming president of the United States. And as any influencer needs, you know, there has to be an audience, and you use that audience to, to leverage whatever you can, be it money or, or product endorsements or whatever it is. So when he no longer had that voice because he got booted off all the other platforms, he had no choice but to create his own. The big question, I think, will be is his new platform really going to be a neutral place as he's trying to market it to be for for conversation or is it going to be a place where he can further leverage his influence which basically means a 
an online soapbox for him to say whatever he wants. My guess is it's going to be the latter, and it's going to be littered with far-right, right-wing conspiracy theorists and, and those who, uh, you know, um, digest that kind of uh, vitriol in terms of, you know, their political thinkings, their leanings, their conspiracies. I totally agree. The thing, though, for him is, is he going to garner that audience? And, you know, you, you might initially want to say, yes, after all, it's Donald Trump. But as we all know, there's different kinds of audiences. And are there people who are going to follow him on truth, uh, people like yourself and others in the media who just want to know what he's going to say, or is it going to be people who are genuine followers and believers? And are those people going to be strong enough to, to allow him to leverage whatever influence he has to either become president again or to perhaps start off in some new venture? We're chatting with Mark Gordon, marketer, speaker, the customer service expert. You can find him online, markgordon.ca. That's M-A-R-C, gordon.ca, about former President Donald Trump launching his own social network. How dangerous could this become? Because Trump has a megaphone again. We saw what that megaphone could do on January 6th, uh, 2021. Is this dangerous? I believe it could be potentially very dangerous. After all, you got to remember back to that uh, insurrection that happened at Capitol Hill, and uh, all of those individuals, you know, you got to wonder, are those the kinds of people, are those the groups that are going to follow him on truth or whatever platform he happens to be on, and will they respond to whatever influence he, he exerts through this kind of platform? There's a lot of negativity simmering, you know, among a lot of groups in the United States right now. And uh, it could be argued that without the voice that he had before, these groups are somewhat rudderless. They're, they're, they're not organized. They don't have that single voice to, to give them guidance or influence. So I believe it could be very, very dangerous if, if he, um, you know, if he's the flame that could ignite that fuel that, that you know, the, this underlying unhappiness and unease that's going on in the United States right now. Trump did launch a blog last year from the desk of Donald J. Trump. It didn't last very long. It was it was mocked. It was panned. And not many people obviously consumed it, so he shut it down. Is this maybe adding fuel to his fire? It's going to be tough to say. It was interesting that blog was a bit of a joke, uh, which I think goes to show that Donald Trump really can't say anything much more beyond two or three hundred characters at a time. Uh, but again, you know, that's does it take much more than that? And what's interesting, too, is what he'll be able to do beyond just, um, just well, tweeting in a lack of better term, which is essentially what truth is. For those who haven't actually seen a sample of this platform, it's basically a knockoff of Twitter, which begs the question, what influence will he be able to exert beyond this platform? He loves audio. He loves video. Is he going to be on radio shows and television shows? Is he going to be able to... to go beyond just this platform. I think for him to really exert the kind of influence he would like, he's going to need to do that. And uh, we'll see whether those doors open up for him or not. Uh, we got about a minute here. He has been suspended from Twitter and Facebook. Do they look at this Truth Social as any sort of competition? I would say no. I really don't think they're concerned at all. Uh, as far as Twitter goes, I think Twitter has bigger things to worry about than truth, because uh, since Donald Trump got kicked off, their user base has dropped significantly. Yeah, we will wait and watch and, uh, well, grab some popcorn as well. Mark, uh, appreciate the time today. Enjoy the rest of your day. 
My pleasure, Rick. Thank you. That's Mark Gordon, the customer service expert. Check him out online, markgordon.ca. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, a new era begins tonight on 900 CHML. It is a new show kicking off at 10 p.m. Every weeknight, you'll be able to hear a little more conversation. And the host of this new show is Ben O'Hara Byrne, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Ben, good morning. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. How cool is this new show? I mean, I'm, I'm extremely excited. You know, it took us a while to come up with the name. That was kind of the challenge. <laughs> and uh, it, it, I, I was honestly listening. I, I, was on, I was running. You can do that in, in Victoria, where I am right now in the winter, uh, with ease. And, uh, and that, that track came on, A Little Less Conversation, by Elvis. And I thought, what we really need in Canada right now is a little more conversation, a little less arguing a little more conversation, and suddenly the genesis of the whole idea came through that. So you never know when inspiration strikes, you know, when the apple falls and hits you on the head, so to speak. So I'm very excited about the possibility, about the possibilities the show offers, uh, specifically given the time we're in right now. This has, you know, been a difficult time for a lot of Canadians, for a lot of us. All of us are living through a lot, the same, sort of the same experiences to some extent. And uh, it just feels like a great time to be able to jump into this, uh, to the national conversation that we're having. What's the show going to be about? What, what's your focus going to be? Well, really, I mean, again, the name kind of says it all. It's really about, about conversation. So because it's a national show, and of course, uh, having lived in, in the greater Toronto area, having spent time in Hamilton uh, while I was working uh, in the GTA, uh, as well as uh, having lived in Edmonton for a while, having lived out west, I grew up in Montreal, lived in Ottawa, uh, spent some time down east, have family there. So I understand you know, there is a wide, you know, people are, are there's sort of a pan-Canadian view of things, but people are very interested in what's happening in their communities. So the challenge is always to try to tie that all together, to tell people stories about things that are happening outside of their backyards in a way that's relevant to them. So really the point of this is to bring some diverse viewpoints, talk about things uh, th- that hit home. You know, next week we'll be talking about, or, uh, you know, coming up we'll be talking about uh, about the Olympics. We'll go to Beijing to talk about what's happening there in the lead-up to the Olympics. I know that's something you discussed on the show last week. Um, and, you know, what the sentiment is like around these games. We're back to 2008, uh, just how much of a spectacle it was for China at the time, what a sort of coming out party it was for, for, for China at the time. I'm really clear and curious to find out what the mood is this time around, specifically given uh, COVID, but also just given, you know, a, a quite different global landscape these days. Uh, and, and those are stories, I think, that, that, that can matter to all of us. At the same time, we can talk about things like supply chain issues. Um, you know, there, there's, there's other issues of, of stuff that's going on that, that we feel like we really want to be able to draw those sort of connect the dots, you know, make it matter to you where you are, even though it's not necessarily happening, happening in your backyard. So that's been, that's sort of the challenge I put out there for the show. Uh, we want to hear from our listeners. We want to make sure it's engaging. We want to make sure it's warm and we want to make sure it's funny. We know at the end of the day, not everyone wants to listen to yet more news about things they've been listening to all day. Uh, so we're going to try and take a step back, offer some perspective, and maybe a bit of levity as well if we can. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Ben O'Hara Byrne. He's the host of a new show on CHML starting at 10 p.m. tonight, weeknights at 10. It's called A Little More Conversation. Uh, you have uh, more than 20 years of journalism experience. You mentioned the, the phrase global landscape. You've been around the world as well. I know you mentioned a few different stops in Canada that you've lived in and worked in, but you have a lot of international experience because you're a former global international correspondent so you've seen the world 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, quite a bit of it, and, and I'm privileged to have done so. Uh, specifically, I, I was the first Asia correspondent for uh, for Global. I opened, uh, helped open that bureau in Beijing back at the end of 2008. So I remember the sort of heady days of post-Olympic uh, euphoria in China. Again, again, as I mentioned earlier, I'm really curious to find out what's happening on the ground there these days. As you know, very few people have been able to go into China uh, given the restrictions uh, imposed under COVID. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I've been to a lot of places. I think it gives me uh, a good perspective. I always worked for Canadian networks, so part of that challenge was always to try to find those Canadian angles or try to make those international stories make sense to a Canadian audience. Um, and, and I think that's something I'll be able to bring uh, to this show as well and look forward to talking about uh, about issues far and wide uh, that, that will be of interest to Canadians in a way that, that will, in fact, engage the listener. It's, it's not really about you know, what I think or about uh, as much about what I think or what my opinion is, I really want to know what people think and try and have that conversation at a time where I think, you know, we're trying to make sense of the world these days. It's, it is a, uh, I, I think COVID, is, we've had a lot of, I mean, I'll speak just for myself. I feel like I've had a lot of time to sit and think the past two years as well as work a lot and do all the other things that uh, that working from home brings on. Um, but I think it's, we've reached a time where we have a lot of questions about what the world looks like, what the world's going to look like in the next 10 years. And, uh, and the show will aim uh, and I will aim to try and make that make sense, uh, or a little more sense for the listeners. Sounds like an exciting program. Can't wait to uh, hear episode number one coming up later on tonight, 10 o'clock. It's going to be weeknights at 10. A little more conversation. The host is Ben O'Hara-Byrne. He's been joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. Ben, really appreciate the time. Best of luck with the show, and we'll certainly chat with you uh, sometime down the road. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.